morning, Calvary. My name is Abby Downey. I've been going to this church my whole life, and I love it. And right now I'm connected in student ministry. We're reading from Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Sammy. My name is Zach Thompson. I'm on staff here at Calvary Bible Church, and today we're going to walk through uh, one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. It's particularly well-known by people outside of the church. You ask someone who, who's not a Christian, who, who doesn't often read the Bible, what are some things that are in the Bible? They might be able to say, well, John 3.16. I, I know about that because of sporting events. Or David and Goliath, which I know about because of sporting events. <coughs> But they also might be able to bring up this verse, judge not that you be not judged. Because oftentimes this verse gets brought up in a way to, uh, or after Christians have, have said when something is right or wrong. I mean, how can you tell me what to do? Doesn't Jesus say to not do that? And, and this has uh, become such a used verse because it, it sounds like it's compatible with an aspect of our culture. Who am I to judge someone else? So who are you to judge someone else? To say when someone's uh, lifestyle or decisions or morals or values or right or wrong, how can you say that about someone else? And so when you have this verse that sounds like it aligns with the value of our culture, it tends to get to uh, be brought up fairly often. Does doesn't Jesus tell you not to judge me? And, and certainly, uh, we never want to be so insular that we can never receive feedback. And, and Christians do, uh, at times, read the Bible poorly. There, there are certain Christians, uh, certainly Christians don't apply the teaching of Jesus to our lives. We, we don't uh, follow through with what Jesus instructs us to do. And, and we never want to be so prideful as, as to think, I know perfectly what the Bible says. But it is interesting to be told what the Bible means by people who don't read the Bible. And so this is why I think that this, this passage in particular makes a great addition to the series that we're doing called Questions Jesus Asked. We talked last week about how questions were one of the primary ways that Jesus interacted with other people. It was one of the main ways that he taught even. Questions show up all throughout his teaching. And the, the reason why his questions are so special is because they get to the heart of the matter. By asking questions, Jesus gets to what is most important, what is the most significant piece of his instruction. But he also does so understanding the hearts of the people who are around him, to know what they're thinking, what their needs are, how they'll react to this, what their background is. Jesus asks these questions to apply this teaching to the people personally. But questions as well bring some introspection that as we read them, we ask questions. Where do I see this in my life? How does it align with my life? Questions also show Jesus care. Imagine if he just showed up, dumped a bunch of information and then left. But by asking questions, he's demonstrating the care that he has for the people. And he's showing how important this teaching is. 
by asking questions, continuing the conversation. It's not just sound, some sound bite, but by Jesus asking the question, he continues to show why this is important for the people around him, for all of his followers to understand. And that's what happens when this passage here, because if we just boiled it down to, to that, those first two words, judge not, then, then yeah, that sounds like Jesus saying, my followers are not allowed to ever speak out against any other people. But by continuing the conversation, by asking questions, what we get to in this passage is that Jesus is actually showing his followers how to rightly, to biblically judge. So in this passage that's so often used to say, you can't speak up against other people, Jesus actually gives us three ways that we are to judge. Now, I, I want to show my work in that because that could sound counterintuitive. It says, judge not, except for these three ways that I'm going to give you right here. But they are, I promise, in this passage. They're all stemming from the questions that Jesus asked. Let's, let's look again at the questions. This is uh, Matthew 7, uh, verses 3 and 4. It says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye. Jesus is asking these probing, I hope you see the humor that's there. Like you're seeing the speck, there's something in, in your brother's eye, but you got this massive log protruding out of yours. How do you focus on that and miss out on what's going on for you? But Jesus asking these questions, he's getting to the heart of the matter. Not saying don't ever speak out against other people, but helping us to understand how do we write, how do we biblically judge? Three ways that I think he gives us in this passage. And the first is, a, uh, is to use self-judgment. Jesus calls for us to use self-judgment. In, in this temptation to assess other people, to evaluate other people, the first step is self-judgment. Let's, again, let's look at this passage to see where this is coming from. It says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log in your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So the first part that Jesus is getting to, I think there's two ways that the self-judgment uh, 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 plays out in this passage. And the first one is looking at what is the mindset that we have when we are evaluating other people, when we are assessing them, when we are measuring them up against some sort of standard. And this comes from uh, the beginning of the passage. It says, judge not that you be not judged. And it continues to go on to say, in the same way that you judge other people, that will be how you are judged. So if we are cruel to other people, if we are unfair to them, or even just constantly prodding and poking at mistakes and, and uh, aspects that we don't like in other people, constantly going after that same thing, that's the way that we will be judged as well. Now, I want to quickly get to what this does not mean. This doesn't mean I am saved by grace through Jesus, except for the very moment that I judge someone else, then clearly I am not saved anymore. That's not what the teaching is getting to. All of this, this section, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous teaching times that he has, from Matthew three, uh, Matthew three to uh, sorry, Matthew five to Matthew seven, uh, all of it is focused on, on almost one topic: what does life in Jesus look like? How are we transformed because of Him? What does it look like to follow after Him? 
And, and so as we look at what this transformed life looks like, above all else, it looks like loving other people, loving enemies, loving neighbors, loving those uh, that are around you. I, I think um, the, the women who are part of women's Bible study could help us see this point very clearly as, as 1 John makes it over and over and over again, that the life that we live is in response to what we see Jesus has done, that that changes us. In, in a big part, the love that we've received from God flows out of us as we love those of us around us, or those who are around us. So the idea is this, uh, that if we, are at, if we are absent of using mercy and love, then that is the same judgment that will be given to us. Because we are demonstrating that we are not living a life that is the only possible response to Jesus. So if we are judged by the same way, or, so we are judged by the same way because we're showing we're not actually following Jesus. We're not living this life of transformation that comes in response to him. That the, when we are this cruel and, 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 and critical of other people, we are reflecting that we have not been transformed by the love of God. And it goes further to say why this is so significant. Because when we take this place of critique, of over-evaluation, of just pointing out flaws constantly, what we're doing in that is we are trying to take the place of God. I get to say what's right. And I get to look at your life and see, are you right or are you wrong? That we're setting some sort of bar, which God does not set. And we get to be the ones to evaluate how you are doing at maintaining this. When we see all throughout scripture that God and God alone is the one who can say what's right and what's wrong. God and God alone has the ability to rightly and perfectly judge and assess whether or not people are right or wrong but we are trying to take the God in this place. So what, what Jesus is speaking to, as we are looking to critique and evaluate or criticize other people, that we first pause and we look at ourselves. What is the mindset that I have? Am I doing so in a way that doesn't reflect the love that's been shown to me? Am I doing so in a way that's trying to take God's, own, uh, God's rightful place that he and he alone has? And this starts uh, when we don't have that proper mindset, it starts to come out in us actively and regularly and repeatedly looking to harm those who are around us. I think J.C. Ryle captures this really well. He says, what our Lord means to condemn in this passage is a fault-finding spirit, a readiness to blame others for trifling offenses or matters of indifference, a habit of passing rash and hasty judgments, a disposition to magnify the errors and infirmities of our neighbors and to make the worst of them. See, what happens when we are this critical of other people, when we are evaluating others, it quickly goes from, I see faults in you, to identifying them by what we see in them that we are passing judgment in these moments. You've done this wrong. You are always this way. Or this person is so like fill in the blank for whatever trait we see is just unredeemable in them. And it quickly goes into, uh, they must always be like this, which is an assessment of, of their character, their nature, as if we know the content of their heart. See, critic, uh, criticizing in this way without this mentality of love or understanding God is the only rightful judge, without that mindset, without this time to pause and do this moment of self-reflection, a self-judgment to see what is my mentality going into these, these words I'm saying about this person, without doing that, we quickly boil someone down to their mistakes themselves. It's not just that you've done wrong or I saw, I saw you make a mistake. It's you are that thing and you are no more than this thing. 
And that's not true. And so often when we are judging in this way, we're saying less about the person that we're saying the words against and it's revealing a lot more of ourselves that I'm passing judgment in order to feel better about myself. I'm I'm being critical so that someone else is the focus. I'm I'm assessing, I'm criticizing so that no one criticizes me. And I think that gets to the second part of self, uh, self-judgment that, that is, uh, Jesus is pointing to here because all throughout this section, Jesus is focused on hypocrisy. You see that as well in, in the, the prodding question, the, the humorous way that Jesus puts this. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and miss the log that's in your own eye? It's this ridiculous image of, of how ridiculous our hypocrisy can be. And yet we so often view others in more severe terms than we view ourselves. We magnify the small things that are in their life and miss the massive things that are in ours. It's so much easier for us to see the problems in other people and overlook the sins that we still have in our own life. And that is hypocrisy. And that is what Jesus has in view. More so than the questions that we might ask of, of who are you to judge me, the self-judgment it plays itself in, out in questions of who am I to judge you when I know the things I do when no one's watching? How can I point out the anger that you're going through when I know the eruptions that take place in my life over the smallest thing? How can I roll my eyes at your prayer request when my prayer life is non-existent? How can I plow into church with a whole list of preferences that you must meet without being willing to be a part or participate within a church, to be part of that church? How can I be upset with you for doing something that I see in myself, which tends to play itself in equally as silly ways? Hey, everyone, everyone over, look at this guy. He just wants attention with what he's doing. So often our judgment comes out in ways that we are overlooking what is within us in order to bring down other people. And that is hypocrisy. And Jesus, all throughout this section of of, uh, the Sermon on the Mount has been pointing to hypocrisy. Matthew 6, it shows up three times to not be like the hypocrites. And now it is saying, uh, don't be like the hypocrites, don't be like the hypocrites, don't be like the hypocrites. But if you judge in this way, you hypocrite. You're doing exactly what Jesus is calling, what he is calling us for us not to do in this time. To judge that comes after a period of self-judgment. And that plays itself in asking these questions. What is my mindset? When I'm criticizing someone else, when I'm evaluating them, when I'm critiquing their life, what is my mentality when I'm doing so? Is it just to put them down? Is it, is it absent of the love that's been shown to me? Am I taking the place of God who alone is the rightful judge? Or am I overlooking a part of my life to score points, to point out someone else's flaws, ignoring a deep sin that's in my own life as I point out mistakes in someone else's? And that's, that's just part of what Jesus is talking about. The first step in all of this, what Jesus calls us to do is this form of self-judgment. Well, we said that this is just one of three ways that Jesus calls for us to judge in this passage. Because so far, everything that I've said, it sounds right along with the culture. Yeah, how can I speak out against anyone else? I know what my mess is. 
But Jesus continues by asking the questions. He continues this conversation to show what right judgment looks like. What it is right judgment looks like. After this time of self-judgment, looking at our life, uh, removing the log from our own, own eyes, he says, then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers. After this place of looking at where do I fall short, where do I still have sins in my own life, uh, in dealing with those, then we can speak into the other person's life to offer care and correction. And this is the same thing that we find all throughout the Bible. I think uh, Galatians chapter six captures this quite clearly. It says, uh, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, which could only happen after you see that take place in their life, it's this aspect of judgment to see that they are caught in transgression. So if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted too, which is an aspect of self-judgment to see are we falling, uh, falling victim of the exact same thing. So the idea is that once we've dealt with our sins, once we acknowledge that we still fall short, we still have sins that we struggle with, once we acknowledge that and deal with that, then we can gently and lovingly confront and try to restore others as well. The, the, the aspect of it is, is not, who are you uh, to judge me? It's, we are called to help each other. And one of the ways that we can do so is by seeing where do we all still fall short. But we come with this aspect of not being hypocrites, not uh, pointing out your flaws to put you down. Instead, it's to build you up. See, there's two ways in this that, that I think are problematic when we ignore that Jesus is calling us to right judgment. If we ignore the teaching of Jesus, it actually puts us in a worse place. That idea of who are you to judge me? If, if we just want to score cheap and easy points, we could say, well, that itself is a judgment. And so uh, you apparently are the one to judge me. But more so than that, by, by this idea of who are you to judge me, that's another form of pride working itself in our lives. It's, it's so easy to look at the obnoxious, arrogant, always critical person and say, look at how proud this person is. But it's just as proud to say, no one could say what's right and what's wrong. No one is allowed to judge. No one is allowed to evaluate. So, so being always judging is driven by pride. Never judging, that's also driven by pride. But the second reason why this is problematic is, is by saying, who are you to judge me? That's a way that we can insulate ourselves from any sort of correction, any sort of growth, that we are called to, to help each other to grow more and more in the likeness of Christ, not the likeness of our own choosing, which is, is, is less than the, the uh, perfection that Jesus has meant for us. And so as we can critique, as we can evaluate, as we can help each other, that is a way for us to grow more and more in the likeness of Christ. But that can't happen if we are silent all the time. I, I think this gets to another uh, aspect of, of a way that we apply this uh, passage. Um, not quite yet. So what this is pointing to is it's, it's helping us to see the problem is not judging itself. The problem is not critiquing or evaluating other people's life. The problem is the attitude that is behind it. And we, we talked about that before. It says, judge not that you will be judged. 
That, that if we are cruel, that if we are unkind, that is the type of judgment that we will receive. We are reflecting something that falls short of the standard of God. But, but it's not as though, uh, judge not that you will not be judged. Like, uh, it's not that we go before the judgment seat of God and we say, you know, you got some heinous sins in your life, but you never judged anyone. So my hands are tied. You're, you're in, welcome to heaven. That, that's of course not what the passage is saying. I am going to be judged. We talked about this in the book of Revelation, that all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But it's that type of judgment that we receive that, ref, uh, that, that is reflected in how I assess and evaluate and help other people. That, that I will be judged by the God of mercy who sent his son to die for my sins. I did nothing to earn that, yet he poured out his love and his mercy upon me. So as I am around other Christians, I want to pour out love and mercy in the same way that I have received that. I want to help build you up. I don't want to point out flaws in, in you. I don't want you to point out flaws in me just so we can try to feel better about ourselves. We need to grow. We want to grow in the likeness of this merciful God who has done all this to save us. The judgment that we will see ought to be reflected uh, in the way that we assess and evaluate and help each other. But one of the ways that this falls short is uh, a common application of this for Christians is, well, well, I can't say anything. I can't speak up to this person's life. I know I still have a log in my eye. I know very well what my problems are, my, my sins that I still, I'm still wrestling with. Like I, I would love uh, to put these to death, but, but I still continue to go back to these things. So I can't speak up to this other person's life. I know what my log is. But that's not th- the application that Jesus is driving for either. The, the point is not to avoid correction or care. Jesus is showing us how we speak up. It says, then you can see clearly to take the, the speck out of your brother's eye. It is telling us what correction and care looks like. If we avoid that correction and care, we're avoiding the teaching of Jesus. Instead, it's oftentimes because someone still has a log in their own eye that they are best to be a support for other people. Because uh, the proper understanding of this, rather than uh, putting down other people or pointing out their flaws just so I feel better about me and dealing with the same thing, that uh, the opposite ought to be true. I, I ought to be driven closer to you to say, hey, I struggle with the same thing. Here's what's helped. Or here's uh, how, how uh, the, I'm continuing to work through it. Here's how we can be together as we're struggling through this difficulty. I mean, the idea, for, for example, that, that, we, um, that the difficulty that I've gone through in my marriage can't be a support to you uh, until I have a perfect marriage, that's not at all what the teaching is. It's often those struggles, those difficulties that are a support for other people. In substitute marriage for whatever it is that's, that's been your past, that's been your struggles, whether this is alcohol or... or, um, or um, I forgot my list of things that I had there. Uh, I, I had two A's and two P's to try to remember, and I forgot them. Uh, this could be anger. Uh, this could be alcohol or parenting or pornography or whatever it is that you continue to struggle with. There are people in this room that struggle with the same thing that would be greatly benefited from hearing your stories. But it's focused on the mindset. It's not, I can't say anything. I know what my log is. You know what your log is. That's the point. It's not to be a hypocrite. You're not being a hypocrite when you recognize the depth of your sin nature. You're not being a hypocrite when you recognize what Jesus is still doing inside of your life. 
And so, yes, we turn all things over to Jesus. Yes, we understand that we're not going to just put down the other person. Yes, we recognize that there is a tendency uh, to, to call out other people for struggling through the same things. But when we understand the grace that's been poured out on us, that changes our mindset in this. Rather than I see the same thing in you, so I'm gonna draw everyone's attention to that, so you're not looking at me, is, hey, I am struggling with this. I think we can help each other. And that's the right judgment that happens in this. That's the way that Jesus is calling for us to be a part of building each other up. Where our tendency is to put people down because of their flaws, instead we see our own and that brings us together for the purpose of growing closer and closer in the way Jesus has called us to do. The teaching is not that we cannot speak up until we're perfect. It is speak up. But how we do so, not out of pride, not ignoring our own struggles. That is the difference between sinful and right judgment. And the third way that Jesus uh, calls for us to judge is discerning judgment. And this comes from verse six, which in my mind is astronomically more difficult than verse one. So let's try to work through it uh, together. It says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Uh, so uh, we have two different animals here. First is, is dogs. And, and yeah, they had domesticated dogs at the time, but mostly they would have been uh, pack animals that were scavengers that would just go around and, and find whatever they could eat. So they were considered not great by the society at the time. And then you have pigs, which were famously rejected by Jews as being unclean animals. So you have these two animals that were not seen as good. And it says to not give them pearls, which pearls are still incredibly valuable, but especially then they were so much more rare. It was one of the most valuable things that you could have. So not to give them the most valuable thing that you have, not to give what is holy. So something of great spiritual significance. Different ways, different people read this passage, but, but if we're thinking through what is the most valuable thing of spiritual significance that we have, I mean, it'd be the gospel, right? The truth of how Jesus died for our sins, was raised from the dead, that he is rightfully on the throne, that he is making all things new, that we are restored in him. That is the most valuable thing that it has. So it says to not give that to those who are trampled on those things. A couple just quick surface level observations and then we'll try to understand what is Jesus talking about with this passage. Uh, first, uh, clearly Jesus doesn't mean never judge someone else because in that same section that he says don't judge, he offers a very harsh judgment of other people. Uh, but second, this is an idea that we find all throughout the Bible. This idea that we are to, to care for and protect the church, that we're to be on guard for it. Even further on in Matthew chapter seven, he talks about these false teachers, how we are to, to be on guard. We're to root out false teaching. The, the idea is the same, that we're to guard Christian truth. We are to guard the Christian community and protect it from people who might do damage to it otherwise. But what is it that Jesus is actually getting to with this passage? Uh, what, how are we supposed to respond to this? Do, do we make guesses as to, I, I want to share the gospel with someone, but I mean, what if they're dogs or pigs? Uh, and so do I just need to guess, like, maybe they'll listen to it. Maybe these other people won't. So I'm just going to go to these people. Do we get to pick who we think are dogs or pigs based off of uh, our ability to, to guess at these things? I really hope I don't have to say absolutely not. But just in case, absolutely not. That's not at all what Jesus is getting to here. 
what I think helps us to understand Jesus' teaching here on this difficult passage to understand is actually something later on in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 10, he is preparing his disciples to go out. He is sending them out to go and tell people about Jesus. Essentially, what, it is, what the gospel is, but before Jesus' death and resurrection, to go and show people who Jesus is and what it is that he's doing. Uh, that he is bringing in the kingdom. That transformation is possible because of him. Disciples, go and tell people about what is happening. But then he prepares them of what to do when this message is rejected. This is uh, Matthew chapter 10 in verse 14. It says, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or that town. So shaking off the dust with this picture of uh, a finality that uh, I've told you uh, what, what you need to know, you have rejected it. So it's this picture of finality of I am not telling you anymore. And so what I think Jesus is getting to with, with this verse six that's so hard to understand is be indiscriminate in telling people the gospel, telling people the good news that Jesus saves. But when they, you get to that point of being rejected, when they continue to ignore, when they are hostile towards hearing this message, it is moving on to tell some other person the gospel. We never stop praying. We never stop turning to God and begging and pleading for these people in our life that we care so deeply about to see saving faith in Jesus. But there comes a point when we stop telling those who are constantly rejecting this message so that we can tell others who might receive it. We never, I, I, I want to be so clear on this, it's never wrong to hope and pray for someone to put their saving faith in Jesus. But it gets to a point that we, uh, through this practice of discernment, are best served sending that message to other people. See, while this, this section focuses first on how we are not to be overly critical of other people, Jesus r finishes it by saying, we're also not supposed to be naive. We're not supposed to be blind in these things. We need discernment. He's teaching us of how we judge a situation that when we face rejection, which is going to happen, how do we respond in that moment? And we need this discerning judgment at those times. And the reason why I think this is connected to, the, to these other five verses is because by Jesus asking these questions, he once again is getting to that same heart of the issue. We talked to that as we're critical of other people, that shows our pride. As we're not willing to speak for what is truth, that shows our pride. If we're not willing to discern, that's another way that our pride works itself out in our lives. Because what are we saying? Either out loud or, or our actions are saying when we are not willing to follow through a, a what verse six is telling us. It's, no, 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 I can do this. I can get them to believe. Uh, I need to be right here. Forget where God might have me otherwise. This is where I'm best needed, which is the language of pride. In all of this, Jesus asking these questions in what can look like uh, uh, difficult to understand how these verses work together or even uh, how do we understand when he says to not judge. By Jesus asking these questions, he goes beyond just a surface level reading of the passage to go to what the heart of this issue is. And so by him asking questions, it allows us to ask ourselves questions. Where does my pride work itself out? All of us have the temptation for pride to work itself out of our lives. Where does it work itself out in, in mine? 
Am, am I the one who doesn't extend love to other people? That I think I get to be the one who decides what's right and what's wrong and hold people accountable to my arbitrary standard? Or uh, does my pride work itself out in me saying what's right or what's wrong by not saying anything? It'd be wrong to speak up. It'd be wrong to speak truth into this person's life, which is another way pride can work itself out. Or does it work itself out by not being discerning in this way? That I know best of how to use my energy, time, talents, material possessions, money. I know what's best how to use these things. See, by, uh, we are able to pause and ask questions of our own life because Jesus here in this teaching paused and asked questions as well. I, I wanna leave us with three things, uh, three, three ways that we can grow in light of the teaching of this passage, which again, we talked about how judgment can be a good thing because it's a way for us to grow in the likeness of Christ. So how is it in this passage that we see we are able to grow? And first, I, I think it's showing us that we can grow in encouragement. We can grow in encouragement. That uh, as we see the, this teaching here, that, that there's a, uh, for those of us who have a tendency to be critical of other people, to, to be uh, overly uh, uh, critiquing what's going on in someone else's life, this ease in evaluating other people, uh, what instead we are called to do is to help build them up. And in light of this teaching, uh, we can do this by growing in how we encourage each other. For those who this doesn't come uh, easy, it, we can remember uh, th that um, we can find reasons to celebrate this person, to praise for what they've done well, to praise God in response to who they are, to, to see why this person is valuable. This may sound a little bit clunky. So was it just fake it until you make it? Is that, is that what the encouragement here is? Uh, no, that's, that's not what it is at all. It, for those of us who, who don't have the skill of encouragement, it's, it's something that we can practice into. If we're uh, much more easy in our critique, the, the time of practice into encouraging other people, it will help us to lessen that critique. But more so than anything else, this isn't fake. We're not trying to generate reasons why this person is praiseworthy. They are praiseworthy. We're not trying to create reasons for why they're valuable. They are valuable. That every single person in this room, even those of us who are the biggest encouragers that there are, we can all grow in understanding and seeing people with the value and dignity and worth that God has put into them. And so, so often when we are critical or criticizing, we miss that value, dignity, and worth. And so this practice of being encouraging is a way that we can lessen the criticalness that tends to be more instinctual for some of us. The second way that we can grow though is to grow in truth. That as we see what God has said is right and wrong, as we spend time with him, that this has a way to play itself out in our life, that we can see best as to where do we still fall short of God's standard? Uh, where, where do we see someone else falling short of God's standard? And after this time of introspection, of not being hypocritical, of, of seeking their good, understanding what is right and what is wrong is the baseline that we need to have before any sort of judgment can be placed. And all of this comes from God's standard, not ours. And so we want to grow in what has God revealed the standard to be. And then third, we can grow in grace. I mean, ultimately, this is the way that we are able to judge rightly and biblically. That when we look at how we have been coded in grace, that we, God sees us in our sin, in our wrongdoing, and he provides the ultimate way to be built up in him by the sending of his son to die for our sins, 
by, by nothing that I did to warrant that. God alone poured out his grace and mercy to save his people. That ought to flow out of us and our judgments and assessments of people as well. That to judge in this way that Jesus calls us to do, we need, uh, we, we need to do it without pride, without uh, a desire to, domin to dominate, or without uh, trying to look good at the expense of other people. And what is it that puts to death those things? Well, it's grace. That as we see this Jesus and how lavishly he has poured out his grace in us, how we have this inexhaustible well of grace that's been given to us, we read this passage and it says, the judgment that you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure that you used, it will be measured to you. Well, those who are in Christ, we see an immeasurable amount of grace that's been given to us. So we look to extend with the same measure, grace to other people. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that you ask questions, that you teach us, you show us what is right, you show us your ways. So often it's easy for us to uh, revert back to, to thinking that we know best, that, to go back to what life looked like before you, where I was the standard for right and wrong in my life. And this has a tendency to still play itself out. And so we want to turn all things over to you, that we see that you are the rightful one on your throne, that you are the one who, who knows best how to evaluate, to do so without cruelty or malice or revenge or retaliation. You are the only righteous judge that there is. And we've experienced that righteousness in how you've uh, judged us, how you've given us the ability to stand before your judgment seat. And that is by the grace of your son who took our place, who without our earning it, uh, died for our sins so that we can have life in you. We want to live lives that reflect this truth, reflect this mercy, reflect this grace. And so we want that to pour out of us and how we interact with others. As people so shaped by the reality that you have saved us, we want to have that pour out of us and how we have, uh, deal with other people. We want to first see where do we still fall short of your standard. We want to help those of us, that, uh, those that you've put in our life around us to grow more and more in your likeness. And we want to be wise. We want to be able to discern what it is that you have for us. All of this comes because of your incredible grace of sending your son. So it's to you and you alone that we pray.